Hey everyone, did this podcast on Friday night um, with Jimmy Law, my colleague and friend at Square. We talked about a lot of different things, including you know his enthusiasm for crypto and stocks and even NFTs that have really gone and done extremely well. And so I think you all will like it. He brings a different perspective than a lot of the guests we've had because um, he's had a different background. He went from investment banking to tech, um, you know, lifestyle and other reasons. So um, hopefully you all like it. We, we've put a lot of effort into this. And so without further ado, here is Jimmy Law. Hey, everyone. So it's a Friday night. Uh, we got a great guest here on um, a personal friend of mine, also someone that really smart, knows a ton about not just tech, but he knows a lot about cryptocurrencies, uh, stocks. You know, he's, he's just like myself. He loves to go in, talk about these different things and go in and, you know, do a lot of, you know, research and name digging. So without further ado, Jimmy, welcome to the podcast, the Business Central podcast. Very excited to have you on as a guest here tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kardik. Awesome. Yeah, well, we, we love to have you. So um, really, you're, you're unique in terms of the type of guests we've had on so far. So we've had we've had people on from you know CNBC. We've had people on from you know a lot of these different uh, outlets. Um, who is Jimmy Law? Yeah, so I think just going back to the beginning, I initially actually started working in finance um, and then transitioned to tech. Uh, so I uh, graduated college with a business degree. Um, I decided to study business because my parents were entrepreneurs and that's, that's what I thought I, that's what I would do, right? Uh, the thing they don't tell you in high school is that when you study business in undergrad, you don't actually study business. You study business-related things like finance and accounting. And so I went straight into investment banking after college because that's like the thing you're supposed to do. Um, helping companies buy and, and sell other companies, raise money, doing M&A, things like that. Um, and then from there, you're supposed to jump right into either private equity or hedge funds. And I did the hedge fund route where I just invested in stocks, um, mainly in stocks, um, so I came from that banking, finance, investing background. Uh, it was you know, all great and everything, but um, I think going back to my parents' roots, I, I had an itch around entrepreneurship, around tech, around just building a company. And so I, the opportunity presented itself where I, I got to join Square and that's where uh, I met you and that's where uh, I'm at um, up until today. And so I do growth and marketing for Square currently. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you like it? What, what kind of goes on in your day-to-day -day type thing with growth marketing and how would you say it's different <laughs> than your investment banking hedge fund route? Because I, for me personally, I was never on wall street, never mm -hmm. went into the investment banking hedge fund route. But I know people that do, and I know it's very, di very different than, than the tech world. So fill people in on, you know, the differences between the two worlds. Yeah, I t often tell myself or tell other people, yeah, I, I came from a, a finance background, but now I do marketing. And I, I get a lot of question marks around like, oh, how did you, you know, get from one to another? Um, one thing I would say, I would 
talk about, I would say like the similarities are actually more than you think. So uh, in tech or in, in marketing, um, it's actually quite numbers heavy. It's, it's just figuring out what you're dividing, what you're multiplying, what you're subtracting. And that's very similar to uh, investing. Um, actually also in marketing, you're essentially investing in which in certain channels uh, that will get you the most customers and the most acquisition and the most growth. Very similar in, in picking stocks in that way, in that you're, you have a cost and you have a return and you will often hear in marketing, uh, you know, ROI, returns on investment, very similar lingo to what you would hear in investing. So I've actually found a lot more similarities uh, than differences um, across like sort of those two, what seems to be pretty different areas. Yeah, that that's fascinating because, you know, you don't really necessarily hear a lot of people talk about commonalities of marketing and picking stocks. But when you think about it, that's really what a hedge fund's supposed to do. They're supposed to give their investors the biggest ROI. It's not necessarily like someone like myself that'll go into like their Robinhood account or their Cash App account or whatnot and, you know, pick a stock. These, you know, that job is specifically to make those individuals money and right. a return. So. Um, that's interesting how those two are very similar. I personally never thought of them being as similar. So, yeah, um, it, it's. I mean, there's there's going to be you know differences. Um, you you certainly work with a lot more people in a company in a tech company. Um, you work with different types of people. Uh, you know, creatives, engineers, product managers, um, people that you generally won't interface with as an investor, uh, but. Um, there are, yeah, those aspects that are, are quite similar. And um, yeah, I, I felt actually my, my background has actually helped me succeed as a, as a marketer, funny enough. Why do you say that? Well, I, I think my um, ability to get to just wrap my head around numbers pretty quickly and, um, and to tell a story around the numbers and to, I think, figure out what the data says as well as what, what um, maybe the data is missing that like, where like there's certain opportunities. So um, I think things like, yeah, like just identifying certain maybe which channels might actually work out um, because at the end of the day, marketing is you're competing against other advertisers, other companies on getting those Facebook spots or those Google spots. It, it's very similar to investing in that way. And so um, thinking it through that lens actually kind of helped me. Um, it, at least I, maybe it's a bit different of, of, of how mark, other marketers think about it. Yeah, um, that's, that's really interesting stuff right there. I think, you know, and that's, I, I want to touch on the stock part a little bit because I think it's fascinating how you came mm -hmm. from that hedge fund background because we have a lot of, a lot of listeners that, you know, are newer to stocks and newer to investing, but they're very passionate about it. And that's kind of where I got my love of business is through mm. my dad who, you know, started options trading back when I was in middle school nice. and just started really getting me through that sort of thing. And so um, when you talk about, you know, if you draw back on those days when you were working at, you know, hedge funds and whatnot, like what, what kind of, are there any similarities from then to now on how you personally look at stocks? Because a lot has changed since, you know, I'll say, 
you know, 10 years time, you know, 10 years ago, we were just coming out of a you know, recession. If you go 10 years earlier, right. we were in a dot-com bubble. And so what do you think has changed in terms of, you know, picking stocks or not just picking stocks, but your perception of that? Yeah, I, I think um, if I look at today, I think we're still in COVID. Uh, it's, it's still, but I, I think what I would say is uh, I'm, I'm pretty bullish, broadly speaking, of uh, a, a, like on the start market, especially in technology. I'm in the, uh, you know, your listeners might know, you know, Ark and, and Kathy Woods, and I'm in that camp of thinking where I think COVID has really accelerated our uh, techni- like technological developments as well as the use of technology in just many different ways. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just very excited about like what's going to happen in things like aerospace or electric vehicles, electric planes, biotechnology, cryptocurrency, and, and all that, you know, metaverse, AR, it, it's, it's all like incredibly exciting. Um, and like, as long as we don't kill ourselves you know, through climate change or World three, like, I think we, we have a pretty bright future. Um, it just seems like COVID seems to have, I don't know, jolted us awake in terms of that like other recessions didn't do, which is, you know, our, our, uh, you know, the, like the housing bubble, I don't think had as profound of a, uh, change in, in our daily lives and how we interface with technology as has COVID had, because COVID literally physically just stopped us from doing many different things. And we had to use technology to, to do certain things like working. Um, so I think those technological advances where we just saw like a step change in, in the last couple of years will then filter down to the stock market. And, and we have like, as an investor, need to identify those trends and get on them, you know, sooner rather than later. It's, it's so interesting because there is clear, like now, now everything has come up really since, since, you know, those lows, well, it's perhaps to be probably a year and a half ago at this point, but right. there were clear winners and losers before that. Like you had the Zooms, you even had the Teslas where it's kind of counterintuitive that like, hey, you know, you need people to have jobs to have cars, but people really don't, <laughs> don't have jobs at the moment because, you know, you can't really right. go in. But you saw these secular changes happening as, as you're talking about. And so you see like these clear, you know, companies, moving forward and it even brought into emergence like these different areas and we can go into these later like cryptos and nfts and whatnot which i have i have some very interesting news that i want to bring up on nfts later on but um but yeah it's it's fascinating i feel like and jimmy you can you can you know tell me what you think about this but my personal opinion i feel like this was just showing us where the next 10 years are going like you may like mm-hmm. these stocks may have like some secular trends where you know you may have seen some like stocks go down recently or whatnot but it's showing you where everything's going as you said you know stocks like not not necessarily stocks but you know ev space you're looking at mm-hmm. you know places in the private markets like spacex with space travel and all these different things so i feel like you're right yeah i i um, that's, that's what I want to believe. Like, I, I want to believe in uh, a, a different future. Like, I, I think the next 10 years, I hope will be very different from the last 10. Um, and, and that it will be better. Um, I, yeah, I do think, you know, I think pre COVID or even before I joined square, a lot of investors 
Um, there, there is a part of investing called value investing where it, it's, you know, investing in maybe older companies, um, companies that have what they call, you know, competitive advantage or like a moat, which is essentially like another way of thinking about it is like, okay, invest in companies where change does, like change does not happen in certain industries. Like where like that company will keep on making money for a foreseeable future because there's no disruptive force that things don't change. Um, and that's usually a really good business model because it's like, okay, yeah, like that's, uh, you know, it has competitive advantage. Things aren't changing. It'll continue to make that cash flow and it'll continue to um, just keep that company will continue making money and the stock will continue to, to be going up. Um, so I initially, you know, as an investor, I, you know, that's like, uh, you know, back then that's what I thought was like really good. Now my changing has changed a bit in terms of like, what are the, what are the companies or industries where you see a lot of change and where it's, it's almost like an opposite where there's, it's not value. It's, I guess it's growth or disruptive. Um, and, uh, and bet on those companies that are making those changes are maybe first movers or are just more innovative. Um, and, and so there's, I, I've slowly migrated to that side of investing and that's just more exciting investing um, than what I was, I think, doing. That's, before. that's interesting because <laughs> you're, you're literally saying something that's the complete opposite of what a lot of people have told, <laughs> have told me. And this is what I, I've been told. As you get more experience, they go from risk, you know, they're, they're more risky when, or I guess investments are, you know, you have higher tolerance for risk when you're, when right. you're newer, because you're like, oh, hey, I want to invest in this sexy company. This company's going up so much, you know, whatnot. But as you get more experience, you're like, oh, I love the dividend. I love the competitive moat. You literally did a 180. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you did a 180 on what <laughs> you know the conventional wisdom is. And I applaud you for that because there aren't a lot of people that do that. Yeah, it's I mean, like there's different ways of making money and you can make money through both. Um, but there's uh I, I think that hopefully as technology advances, I think that's where you'll see more disruptive. Uh, forces and even the industries that you think wouldn't be disrupted might start getting disrupted because there's just so much technical enough technological change happening. Um, that's that's the uh, that's where I would lean towards. I, I would caveat by saying um, you do have to think about valuation of a lot of these you know, growth stocks. Um, you know, a, a company can't be valued infinitely. Can't be valued at you know, ridiculous valuations. Um, so that, that is something that you still have to take in mind. Like, you know, what is the sales multiple, right? The EV to EBITDA multiple, things like that. Very important. That's why he's a finance expert right there. Um, to, but, but in all seriousness, that's, that's good thing to know. Like there's a lot of companies that, you know, are technically quote unquote zombie companies where right. I mean, they could theoretically never, hit their valuation. I want to really now, you know, touch on something that you said. And when, so, so going back to your time as an investment banker is what, what other, like, did you learn anything at that point that you still apply today? Or is that, or has your philosophy completely changed as you outline? Like, were there, was there anything back then that, you know, still applies 
in your investing thesis? Yeah, I, I think uh, at least for investment banking, it, it it didn't touch investing necessarily because it wasn't. I wasn't investing in stocks as part of that job. I was mainly more um, like facilitating, uh, you know, the the buying and selling of companies on behalf of other companies or raising capital for them, things like that. Um, what I did learn was like the the foundations of investing, or like or at least business metrics and business lingo. So things like, oh, how do you calculate EBITDA or earnings before interest and tax in, in amortization, right? Depreciation and amortization, right? Like how do you look at 10Ks and 10Qs? Um, how do you calculate, ca like what's the difference between net income and cash flow from operations? Um, uh, things like that, uh, where, which gave me the tools to, I think, under, like do the investing job to understand and, and like untangle what a company is doing and what a company like, you know, like the metrics of a company. Um, so I, I would highly suggest um, learning those foundations either through, you know, there's, there's plenty of books or podcasts about investing and learning the foundations of investing and, and how do you calculate valuations? That's probably the hardest part. Um, and then, and then like, you know, reading 10 Ks and 10 Qs, things like that. Yeah. And so for our newer investors out there, that's very important stuff to know. Mm -hmm. I will, uh, in the description of this podcast, I'll go ahead and put some resources in there. Sure. You can find it if you just Google it, but I'll, de I'll right. definitely put some resources in there. I really want to switch over. Actually, before we switch, I, I do, there's something I like to do, you know, especially with people that come on that, you know, I, I know I, I kind of want moonshots. So like myself mm. personally, I love moonshots. I came on this podcast. I want to say, and this is not investing advice, so you can either, you can take it or leave it. But um, I came on this podcast about a year ago, and I talked mm -hmm. about Jumia was one of my big moonshots. And I might have told right. you about Jumia, the Amazon of yeah, Africa. Yeah. yeah, and it did real well. It it went all the way from I believe like. 17 bucks to almost $70 and it's come tumbling down ever since. Uh, it's, it's really consolidating. It's really consolidating for it makes its next leg up. But I, I kind of feel like this could be a little bit of a fun segment. Um, so do you have any moonshot opportunities here in stocks before, you know, we segue into you know, the wild world of cryptos and NFTs and whatnot? I'm going to make that segue for you. I, I'm going to say Bitcoin. Uh, is my moonshot. It's probably a pretty lame moonshot at this point since uh, everybody knows about Bitcoin, but I, I do think it has the potential to probably 10x from here to go from 50 to, to 500,000. Um, and, and, and not for like the reasons, or at least I, I'm going to talk about a reason uh, why I think, or a very specific reason why I think, uh, and some of the development. So, um, what I've seen is, and I think I've told you about this, which is there's something called the um, the Lightning Network. It's yeah. so Bitcoin has an issue where it just can't do a lot of transactions. Um, it can do about five thousand transactions every like ten minutes, which is like I, I think Starbucks as a company probably does more than that. Um, so, and it just can't do more than that period unless there's some massive change. That's a big um, problem. It's a big problem. And 
And so as a Bitcoin as a, uh, what they call, you know, store of value, uh, you know, people just, just storing their value in there is totally fine. But if, if you want Bitcoin to be actually a currency or a medium of exchange, you need something that can do a lot more transactions per minute. Um, and so that's where the Lightning Network comes in. It's essentially a, like a, another layer on top of Bitcoin that's supposed to enable this. So an analogy here is Bitcoin is like, um, you know, a, a ACH, which is like this, this settlement layer, payment layer um, that people like you and me sometime interacts with, like we might pay rent with it, but we don't like buy you know, a cup of coffee with it. it you know, we would never do that. It's, it's not feasible. Um, but then, so, so that, so Bitcoin is like ACH um, and the Lightning Network, it would then be similar to like Visa or the MasterCard networks where it's built, those networks are built on top of ACH. Like they, they do the settlements at the end of the day with ACH. Um, so Lightning Network would be built on top of that, of, of Bitcoin in that you do all your small little transactions, you buy a cup of coffee with Lightning, um, and then you do the big transactions with the Bitcoin base layer. Um, so I'm excited about that. I, I've actually um, run my own you know, Bitcoin node and um, have been dabbling in Lightning Network and all that. Um, Twitter just announced that you can pay and receive tips with the Lightning Network. So I can easily send you whatever, you know, $5, $10 um, through the Lightning Network with no fees. It will be instant. Um, and it's, it's all decentralized. So it, you know, if, if Lightning Network becomes a thing, if Bitcoin becomes a medium of change, you can easily see why, you know, Bitcoin going from 50 to 500 might not be as far-fetched as you would think. Yeah. I don't think that's far-fetched. I, the big, the big two questions I always feel like have been with Bitcoin that it's really slow and transaction fees can be very high. And so like, for your analogy, a cup of coffee at Starbucks, you know, do you really want to pay like potentially like a 50 cent fee on that cup of coffee? Right. And so the Lightning Network, that that should theoretically solve that issue, make the not just fees lower, but it should speed up the payment as well. Yeah, it's uh, if you haven't used it, it's like use it. I almost can't describe it. Use it once and you'll see like it's, it's instant. It's literally instant. It's the fastest payment method you'll ever have. Um, it's very low fees. So you, you, I've, I've sent payments for pennies, if not less than pennies, like a fraction of a penny. Um, and it will allow for just like, like magnitudes more transactions than the base Bitcoin base layer has. So, um, yeah, definitely look into it. It's it's uh, it's pretty interesting. I I haven't gone into how it works, but um, it's definitely interesting and, and pretty fun. Going off going off of that, uh, I have to give my moonshot, and I'm staying in the crypto sure. space just like you are. And you might not you might not appreciate this pick, Jimmy, but um, I'm doing this on more so a technical basis. I'm going Litecoin. And why I'm going Litecoin specifically is if you actually pull up a chart of Litecoin, probably over the last, I want to say two, maybe three years, as Bitcoin has really accelerated, as Ethereum has mm -hmm. really gone up, 
Um, I I, I know both those have, you know, more practical, you know, practical uses and, you know, they have, you can build on those networks and whatnot. Litecoin's prices really remain pretty stagnant if you actually look Mm. at it. And so I look at how Netflix has traded recently. It's done a real catch up trade where it's gone up like 30% in the last, you know, month. I look at some of these other companies, I'm thinking to myself, well, cryptos can act irrationally sometimes. Why doesn't Litecoin go to a thousand? <laughs> so, so I would say that is that's my crypto moonshot. I agree with you. If I were to actually invest, you know, not on a moonshot basis, I would probably go with Bitcoin because I could see the practical use. Um, I also think right. Cardano is very interesting as well as we move to the future. Um, I just think there's too much going with Bitcoin. Twitter's announcement was huge. It's there's a lot of validity coming in. And, you know, my stance, Jimmy, as and we're already starting to see it with El Salvador making Bitcoin Mm -hmm. its currency. Once Africa does it and, you know, Mm -hmm. and obviously Africa is a continent. But once you see a lot of countries like Nigeria, Kenya, you you know, Zimbabwe has got to be one because their currency isn't worth anything. Um, You know, right. (laughs) <laughs> you're going to start seeing while he's going I believe everyone's going to have to do it. And- yeah. I, I mean, it, it's uh, yeah. Like I think once you, and, and, and you'll see in El Salvador, I think a lot of people um, either using their, I think it's called the Chiva app, like their, you know, the government sponsored app. Uh, or I think a lot of people use the lightning network to make uh, payments right? Like if it's, it has to be a currency, if it's a currency, it has to um, transact really quickly. You can't wait like 10 minutes for, to buy something. And so I think you're really starting to see uh, like the, the developments on top of that base layer, whether it's lightning or something else, I think really panning out. What do you, what do you make of this? And I'm going to throw this question at you. What do you make of when someone says, well, how can Bitcoin ever be a currency when all it does is go up. So why would I use it to go pay for gas with it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's like assuming there's another way to pay with, to buy gas, right? There's another like you know, fiat currency. Um, and, and so well, there's like always the argument of like, oh, why don't you just use our fiat, buy Bitcoin and then do that? So I don't know. I, I don't feel like that is a um, a great army. Like there's there's going to be certain people, like people in El Salvador or other areas of the world, where there isn't as good of a fiat system as you know the dollar. I think the dollar is a for all its troubles is a good fiat system. It can retain value um, in the short term, but like you know, for other places. Hey, like there's no other good fiat system that they could use um, in their local country. So in, in that sense, it's like, okay, it's either you use Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency to pay for things, or you hold your local fiat currency that's getting inflated away potentially um, at, at very high percentage points. And, and so it I think that I think that's those are the places where you'll see. Uh, you know, Bitcoin being used as a currency um, and being adopted as a currency much faster than, say, the U.S. 
Yeah, that's I think, you know, it's going to come down to, as, as you said, you know, a lot of depending upon the fiat and how long it takes for a lot of them to become destabilized. But then how how long do you feel like it's going to take for mass adoption? Because really, you're going to need places like Europe and the U.S. and Canada. Not can- I mean, you know, you get my point to really right. adopt it mm-hmm. where, you know, you have then it's then it's standard. It's not even thought of as an investment necessarily. I think that's the point when you say, OK, I'll just pull out and pay you know, this gas station person with Bitcoin, or I'll go get my laundry done with Bitcoin, or I'll go to the movies and give them my Bitcoin. I feel like that's the point that we're waiting for. I just don't know when that point's coming. When that point does come, I feel like that's when, you know, that question's not even asked. Yeah, I I think to be clear, it's like, it's not going to happen in a year or two years. It's going to take a while, um, maybe five, maybe 10 years, maybe longer than that, especially for like the more developed countries that have good fiat systems. Um, but I, I think you will start seeing adoption in places like Africa or South America or uh, places that don't have good fiat systems much quicker. And e- even if those are, those are the only places that adopt, uh, you know, Bitcoin in, in any real uh, substance, like I think that's still pretty massive. It, it's like it's like saying, you know, only you know, WeChat is, is only prevalently used in China, right? In one country, but hey, that's a pretty big country. So it's saying like, okay, well, Bitcoin will only be used in Africa. Well, hey, that's that's like that's the, huge. You know, that's massive, and it's it's growing in terms of population, and we'll have a bigger share of population, you know, 20, 30, 50 years from now. Um, then and they will basically be the dominant force potentially in, in the coming years. So um, it's still going to be massive, even if it's not, uh, even if the adoption doesn't happen in Western governments or Western societies where we're, uh, you know, that we're used to. Well, one thing I am thinking, like, why Bitcoin over Ethereum? Because I've heard a lot of people say that they'd rather, you know, they think Ethereum's better bet than Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not necessarily a believer in that argument, but do you do you kind of have like a thesis on why people would think that? And do you think that is even like, do you think that has validity, that argument? Yeah, I think it potentially, potentially has validity. Um, I just, there's so much going on in Ethereum that I can't even keep up, right? There's, uh, there's like, like, you know, DeFi and like all these, uh, basically a lot of crypto activity is happening on Ethereum and with Ether and NFTs happening on Ether that like, I, I, I think I've just frankly, just like almost given up slash I I'm just recognizing that I know so little compared to all that's happening in that space to have any um, really say of like, you know, whether Bitcoin is going to outperform Ether or vice versa. Um, I, you know, I, I think there's like people that have quit their day jobs just to invest all yeah. their time into looking into Ethereum and everything happening in Ethereum that there's no way I can compete against those people in terms of figuring out, yeah. you know, wh- whether this Ether is going to go up or not. So um, that's my stance in that. Like, it, it does sound interesting. Like, 
I think there's going to be a world where Ethereum, Bitcoin coexist. I, I'm pretty certain of that, actually. Um, but I don't know who's going to beat which. At the end of the day, both of them are, I think, going to do well. If one of them does well, the other one's going to do well. I think there's there's probably no question about that. You you did say something very interesting that I don't want to pass up. You 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 mine Bitcoin or what what did you you say like you have your own node or what <laughs> break break that down for me because I have not met someone or actually heard someone tell me that they have their own node or or j- just tell me what what all that goes into that because I think that's fascinating. You don't hear the rant, you don't hear like the average individual, you know. That does that. Yeah, it's it's not as crazy as it seems. It's it's essentially having like a small little computer, and so this is different from mining. Um, having a Bitcoin node is essentially just having a little computer that um, has the entire Bitcoin blockchain downloaded to it and is verifying transactions with other nodes. Um, so it's not. I'm not mining Bitcoin. I'm not. I don't get any Bitcoin out of it. I'm essentially just making the, I'm like tapping myself into the blockchain, into the network, um, and which enables me to one, be uh, just sort of learn and to see how Bitcoin works and two, to be able to leverage like developing technologies on the Bitcoin layers, things like lightning. Um, it, it's essentially a way for me to, to learn about it, but uh, it, it's not as daunting as it might seem. Okay. Okay. That I'm glad you broke that down. I'll you should look. definitely do it. Uh, yeah. You know, or any how, of how do you, so how, so let's say, let's say you inspired someone to do that when they're listening to this, like, how do they do that? Yeah. It's look up, you know, Bitcoin node on YouTube. Um, it's you, you spend, you know, $200 to buy a raspberry Pi and um, one terabyte of, of storage space and you know other like you know fans and stuff like that and it's just a small little computer that sits anywhere in your room plugged into the wi-fi so it's it's uh it's quite easy quite simple actually if i can do it anybody you do make that seem pretty simple all right right. i'll uh i think we'll we'll have a lot of people following up on that and uh uh, i'll do it and see what see what happens with it I, I do want to get to that NFT piece with you. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've seen this, but uh, TikTok actually is getting into NFTs and they are mm-hmm. about to use have their creators make NFTs. And so like mm-hmm. my whole thing, my yes. whole, th- my whole thing with NFTs is I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. And this is, this is my reasoning. You may be a fan. Um, I just feel like, I could if if I like see let's let's say it's an athlete that's creating their NFT and you know it's a moment in a game that they make a catch let's say it's a receiver that makes a catch and they want mm-hmm. that catch or a specific part of it to be the NFT as a moment. Well, I personally can go and watch the game on TV and get it instead of spending a few hundred thousand dollars on that NFT. I understand NFTs are, you know, made for in the moment, but that it's still hard for me to wrap my head around. Like I've read an article, CNBC, that this 12 year old made $5 million selling NFTs for his collection. So it's crazy. It's unbelievably crazy. It makes me feel like I'm crazy for not doing it. 
<laughs> but but like what do you think like what's your stance on nfts are, are you a fan of it because if i had to guess i would say you are a fan but i have no prior knowledge of it so um fill us in yeah uh so twitter i think along with um launching like the tips uh functionality uh with bitcoin they're also launching nft verification where like where you can say like you posted an nft like, imagine you display an nft on twitter on your profile and twitter will say hey this is actually owned by this guy and it's actually an nft and um it's not just you know a, a picture it's like it, it's actually in the blockchain and and that's like I, I thought that's quite similar to like you know the verification blue check mark on Twitter where it's like okay you're verified like everybody wants that tick mark because because it's it's scarce because it's special um, because it, it shows that hey you're not just the average user you're verified and so I think that's what NFT does in the short term is that it is a scarce resource or scarce asset that makes you sound and look special which sounds so crazy but yet people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on luxury goods and this that's why to boast to brag um so i i think that's where like the short-term value is going to come out of uh, nfts almost a short-term um purpose i think the long-term purpose of nfts and what i found like quite exciting was uh you can configure i believe you can configure nfts such that uh Every time an NFT gets resold, part of the proceeds goes to the initial person that minted the NFT. So what that means is like, imagine, you know, Van Gogh, right now, you know, every Van Gogh piece gets sold for hundreds of millions of dollars, but the Van Gogh family, you know, whoever the great, great, you know, grandchild is, gets nothing of that, right? But imagine like an NFT where, yes, like, if you sell it for hundreds of millions of dollars, ten percent of it goes to you know the, that family. I so that's where I see I think the long term potential in that um, in smart contracts in that like hey this these are the rules and you can't break them. It's I, I understand what you're saying and that it makes a lot of sense to a content creator why they would want to create it mm-hmm. and it makes sense to someone that wants to license out their work like let's, you know, like an artist, for instance, they would rather have an NFT, I guess, go out because it might sell for pretty much the same amount as their artwork would. And they would continue to receive proceeds as it goes along. I just, I'm just always so skeptical. Like you brought up the luxury good, like, is it a luxury good or is it just a fad? Because it's hard to tell. And that's even the same thing with TikTok is because, you know, we saw Vine die that was pretty much a fad, but TikTok's almost the same thing. And so, but TikTok has become one of the biggest companies in the world. So it's like incredibly difficult to tell in my head or in my mind, whether or not NFTs are a fad or not. I I just don't know. Mm -hmm. So if I was investing in it, I, I don't think I would, but I think it's interesting how Twitter, it seems like is going all in and on. They're going all in on like the futuristic economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know that's that's Jack Dorsey is doing. 
I would say it's not a fad just because um, I think that the idea of scarcity has always been around, right? Like every like people have wanted you know, gold or even before that, just pretty stones that um, that they couldn't find at that time. And, and so whenever there's scarcity for something, I think that generally translates to people have like putting pretty high value to it until they figure out how to create mass quantities of it. I think the thing with NFTs and with crypto that we know is that, hey, it, it can be programmed to be scarce supposedly forever. And so that like seems to be sort of this foundation where, okay, if, if there's always gonna be the scarcity cannot be broken, then it feels like there's something there. Um, I wouldn't advert, like I, I personally don't invest in NFTs right now. I have, it's such a crazy wild, wild west. I wouldn't suggest it, um, you know, investing in it, but uh, I think it does have some interesting applications, both short-term and, and long-term. Well, you've got, and I have a list here of individuals and industries that have created NFTs. Just, you know, you've got not only TikTok, but you've got Major League Baseball, You've got right. fanatics. <laughs> you've got the NBA and NFL that are apparently looking into NFTs. You've got stars like musicians like Lil Nas X. Um, mm. I mean, he he's not on the level of these other you know names. But then you once TikTok gets into it, every content creator I feel like is going to have an NFT, but it trickles down where it becomes mainstream, just like how TikTok became mainstream for the younger demographic, where, and, and now I'm starting to talk myself into NFTs a little bit, is, is because- There you go. And I was anti-Snapchat for the longest time, like as, as, a, <laughs> as like, hey, they're gonna make it whatnot. And I was proven dead wrong to where I became a big fan about what they're doing. And so like, going back to my point is that they're going to have every content creator on TikTok have an NFT or everyone should that has a large following. They're the next generation or the next of content creators, they'll have an NFT because they mm -hmm. would be proven successful at people before them. And it's just going to keep circling down to younger and younger individuals where everyone's going to grow up thinking NFTs, you know, are the way of, you know, how we live. And at that point, it becomes saturated and it becomes a commodity, just like how artwork is. And so if enough people adopt to it, it's going to actually work. And so maybe I'm just thinking this is way too ahead of the trend right now. That's why I'm not too into it. <laughs> but mm -hmm. you bring up some good points that there are practical uses to it. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, yeah, like, I think the ultimate winners for NFTs are the creators. Like I think it allows them to monetize or to run or, or raise funds that they otherwise wouldn't be able to monetize or raise funds. Um, I think it, it helps the creators, you know, cut out some of the platforms. Like, so they don't have to rely on, uh, you know, Spotify to, uh, to stream their music or to sell their merch or, you know, whatever it is. Um, they can, do it themselves or they don't have to you know rely on i don't know the music labels to raise money or um to you know distribute their music they they themselves can 
maybe create an NFT out of their music and it, it has a different type of revenue stream that they otherwise wouldn't have. So I think it creates optionality for the creators and that's ultimately who will benefit from is, is not necessarily the people that buy up these NFTs, but it's, it's the creators. And then maybe along the way, if you're you know, a good investor in NFTs and you really see talent, you might be able to um, benefit off of that. Well, that's something that we're going to have to keep a running scoreboard on with the NFTs. We're going to have to see over the years where next year, this time, two years, five years, 10 years, we're going to have to see because that's something that's going to either blow up or it's going to you know, be a wave of something that we don't hear of again. Um, so, so I want to, I want to end this podcast on this note. Um, if you had, and, and, and something I really like to ask our guests towards the end, if you had one piece of advice for someone that's new, brand new to investing, or actually they're not even brand new, they're weighing their options between should I go into crypto or should I go into the stock market? And this will be, you know, their first real investment and they want to hold it for the next, you know, 10 years. What, what would you tell them just as like, if it was you in that situation, where, where would you point them towards in terms of just a sector? Yeah, I, I'm not sure where I would point them. Um, I think both sec- like there's, I mean, it's the stock market, which is massive. And then this crypto, which is also massive. So I think both worlds will have a lot of opportunities for anybody to succeed in. I think what I would suggest is, uh, as opposed to just sitting in front of a computer and, um, and, you know, looking and, you know, reading Reddit or reading Twitter, which I am guilty of, uh, Try to try to engage those communities, whether it's crypto, where you can engage in you know Telegram or build your own Bitcoin node, or uh, you try out Lightning, things like that, um, or in the stock world, um, yeah, engage with those companies. I don't know, like like I I was able to come across like certain companies, like I was able to use Snowflake um, on the job, I was able to use Twilio, things like that, where it's like okay, I. I was able to interface with them and I learned a lot about those companies that I otherwise would not have gotten from a 10K or a 10Q. It's, it's these like real world experiences that I think builds like conviction in investment ideas. Um, and so just go out there and do things. I think that similar to what you're doing with podcasts, like, you know, just do them or, hey, you're, you do all these other things like you know, building apps and all that. Just go out there and do those. You're bound to find actually from what you learn, you're bound to find investment opportunities funny enough. Um, that's, that's generally what I found. That it's a great way to actually learn. Like that's, I found out about square. I was, I was in one of my internships and <laughs> one of my friends asked me to cash app him. I was like, I've got no clue what the heck this cash app <laughs> thing is. So that's how, that's how I learned, learned about square and whatnot. And so there's a lot of practical uses to what you said, um, Jimmy, where if, and, and, you know, we have some listeners that really, you know, have that have engaged with our user or not our users, our listeners, our, our guests in the past, um, where, if they want to engage with you, where is the uh, best place for them to do so? Or how can they, or read up on some of the uh, wonderful illustrations you've done before? 
Yeah, I uh, I'm on I'm on Twitter. You can probably search me up um, uh, and and LinkedIn and all that. So yeah, if you want to chat about anything, just just DM me. All right. Well, Jimmy, we're gonna have to have you on again. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. So just like Gene Munster, just like Gene has uh, a trilogy <laughs> coming pretty soon, where we're gonna be working on uh, having Jimmy come on here every so often. And uh, dropping all of his knowledge on these different things because we'll we'll have a lot of yeah. you know some of these podcasts that come up, we're gonna make them very like specific in terms of like there's a news event that comes out we just you know want to dissect what happens we just wanna you know and hopefully we can get you know a group podcast going as well that's something that I've been working on so we have multiple people and it's like a roundtable I think that's something that we definitely want to do so well Jimmy thank you for coming on appreciate it. Um, and we look forward to having you again. Yeah, thank you for having me. I feel like we just skimmed the surface. So definitely, um, I, I think we're ready. You know, we need a round two at some point. Definitely, definitely. All right, everyone. Uh, have a good night. We'll post this here uh, soon for you.